Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, a chill place where creatives and real-life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things. I'm your host, Kay, and I do want to put a mild content warning on this particular podcast episode. There are very loose mentions of abuse. I just wanted to make the audience aware of that before we begin. And without further ado, an ode to our guest. The grandest places are made of spirit in realization. Distilled down into flesh and bone, behold a being who binds queen and king as one. They shine a light, as incontrovertible as the luminescence they cultivate. A deeper shade of brown skin that is beautifully iridescent. No, it's black, 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 and it is beautiful. Against the voices assuming and transgressing that wonder, behold, I give you a bard, your majesty and groundbreaker, all wrapped up into one beautiful bow. And the name is brilliant. Say it, Tiana. Echoing against the softest and safest caverns, bursting into true light at the end of the tunnel, rain and birth and lifting abounds here, change radiated in the winds and water. A reflection of evolution, it doesn't taste of pretty sonnets or places of old, but it is true, it's so true, we only speak truth here. Painting splatters of paint on the wall of people, places, and things, the best noun. Say it, Tiana. Our favorite noun because it is visceral, changing, and real, being painted in an ethereal war with oneself, but forever the winner of a battle riddled in the bloodstream. For we would destroy a celestial kiss spirit because they are the spirit in us, herald on by the fray of a crowd, chant, and situation. They hearken a cheer, today and all days, and as we cheer, we shall most definitely cheer. We shall cheer for living earth, blood, and skin repurposed, and to the wonder that is, Tiana. I have today with me Tiana Seabrook, and I'm super excited to have you. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, because the first time that I actually saw you speak on your passions and kind of talk and just meet you in person was when you did another show. And I was like, I got to learn more about them. I got to know more about what they do and, you know, what drives them. So just to hype you up for a second, because you know I got to do it. (laughs) But Tiana is a poet, is a activist and advocate for people of color they have done really beautiful work in terms of helping to raise awareness educate and to also hold the powers that be accountable for the state of the city and how it runs going forward which is pretty pretty cool you've done modeling work too which i actually didn't know until i stalked your page (laughs) which is pretty cool but I know I named quite a bit of things. So before we get into anything that I just mentioned, tell me about you. Who are you? Millionaire, playboy, philanthropist. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Um, I'm me, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think um, I'm kind of just like, 
I just kind of go with wherever life takes me. Mm -hmm. That's where I find my passions, which is where I find myself. (laughs) Why I do as much as I do, you know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I know that was like a very vague answer. (laughs) It wasn't vague because at the end of the day, we are just us. So you're from Chicago. So give (laughs) give me a glimpse into your life. What brought you from Chicago to Jacksonville? It is so funny that you say that. So my dad was in the military. Mm -hmm. I was born in Chicago. Well, I was born in Waukegan, Mm -hmm. which is right outside of Chicago. And my whole life, my parents had already always told me it was Chicago. Um, But either way, the last day that they were there, they were in the middle of moving boxes. I came. (laughs) So my mom went into labor (laughs) their very last day. (laughs) They were there. (laughs) I stayed in the hospital for a couple days, and then I was in Virginia. And so um, I lived in Virginia until I was, like, three, I think, Mm -hmm. like, three or so. And then from there, I moved to South Carolina, North Charleston, where that's where my uh, mom is from. So I moved back home, well, my mom's home. But I moved back there when I was, like, around four, and I lived there until I was 14 to where I moved here to Jacksonville. And I've been in Jacksonville since I was 14. So now I claim Jacksonville for the most part. That's uh, fair. Chicago, you. <laughs> yeah. The Chicago is also there. Just It's still there just for the sake of throwing off, like, doxers. So it's like, here's a tidbit of information that's somewhat correct. but. <laughs> <laughs> so as as somebody who's kind of moved around a bit and kind of discovered their voice. And I say that because you have quite a formidable voice. And when you talk, you always have the most impactful things to say. So tell me, when did you when did you discover that you loved words? Because you're a poet. So tell me a little bit about that journey and what that looks like for you. I began writing poetry when I was in middle school. And, um, you know, I was kind of just dabbling in it. I wasn't really big into poetry. And then I got to high school, and, you know, when you're in high school, you're always trying to fit in, which, in turn, you know, I lost that drive to write. Mm -hmm. And so after high school, I get out into the real world, I'm an adult, you know, flash forward, Mm -hmm. um, I go to an open mic, and um, I hear spoken word, and then I start listening to button poetry, and then I get obsessed, and then I started writing again, and I realized, like, wow... Yes, for button poetry. <laughs> I love them I so much. <laughs> Let me just do like a minor, like, this isn't even a brag, flex, or whatever, but I've been in the same room as Rudy Francisco. What? That's awesome. <laughs> that That is, you deserve. If that is a brag, you deserve to brag about it. I love, I love him. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, when I heard poetry for the first time, um, and like forever, I, um, you know, I was like excited and it was just, it was wild because the way it happened was like the person that was my abuser was the person that inspired me to get back into writing. Um, I heard one of his poems and it was just like, wow, this is what I'm missing. And so from there, it kind of, I almost wanted to give up on poetry and I met my amazing fiance who is the world's best poet I don't care what anyone has to say he is the world's best he won this past slam we had 
Um, he he is a bomb-ass poet. I've seen him perform before. Before I even knew mm-hmm. that y'all were dating or before I even knew you, I went to an open mic and he happened to perform there and it was amazing. Hey, I love that. Yes. Y'all are a dynamic duo because you're really good. <laughs> you're really good at how your presence and your performance and just the power in your voice. You are also really good at what you do. Thank you. I'm trying. Definitely trying. So in the case of having somebody who inspired you to get into poetry in the first place and there being negative connotations associated with that person, how how were you personally able to kind of break away from from the weight of that person and, and what they did to you so that you could let the poetry come out? Yeah, um, so the way I really, I had a hard time processing and identifying what it was that I felt. And so, you know, one day I'm kind of just explaining it to my fiance and he's like, people are multifaceted. The same person that inspired you is the same person that hurt you. There is more than just one side to a person. There's not like, it's not so black and white. Like there's good and there's like bad aspects to everyone. And that really helped me because also in that situation, the person who had brought me there was friends with him. So it was like that person had introduced me to him, but mm-hmm. then that person had been there for me after they found out. But then I found out that person was an abuser as well. So it was like grappling with this entire situation mm-hmm. with like, who can you trust and who's actually there for you? It really, it really was a lot to handle, you know? But, like, going back to the whole, like, it's not always black and white. People are multifaceted. That's a good point. And it describes the experiences that we have with them as well. And it's it's always a journey to navigate the good experiences that you have or the good feelings that you have in tandem with the more negative ones. And to kind of lead into something else that I wanted to talk with you about, you are in spaces with people who don't always understand or are willing to understand what you're fighting for and the message that you're trying to convey. And at the end of the day, more of a truth, if you will, because everybody deserves to be treated with respect and to be validated and be shown that they do have merit. So before I kind of branch into that, can you tell me more about the Jacksonville Community Action Committee, which is a group that you belong to. And earlier when I mentioned that you do a lot of advocacy work, a lot of work for people of color and just beyond, that was the group that I specifically meant to reference. And you all are doing a lot of amazing work. Yeah, definitely. With JCAC, we work uh, in the community for victims of police brutality. You know, we help families of victims of police brutality in dealing with JSL, you know, reconciling that, like, they have pretty much half of the city's budget, yet, you know, we have so many, like, so many of them have killed innocent, unarmed Black people within our community, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's just, and just brutalized, honestly, um, and are still out on the street. So we've been working to reallocate portions of their budget towards, um, the schools, the mental health facilities, infrastructure, 
just things like that to really, you know, improve the community. We get mental health first responders. We establish, establish a accountability council for the police. We're trying to stop the uh, push for HB1, House Bill 1. It's an attack on the First Amendment, in all honesty. And it but. would negatively impact protesters, is my understanding of it as well and kind of make it harder for them to protest and enable cops to be more aggressive and also prosecute them erroneously from the way it sounds is that accurate absolutely absolutely it's just it's disgusting and it it's making it illegal to do things that have already been illegal you know it's Mm -hmm. already illegal to destroy property so, like, why, why are we making this separate bill that now makes it even, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, like it's adding yeah. salt to the wound that's already there. Yeah, exactly. I think it's great work what you do. And I think that the fact that you are creating accountability is a huge thing because even though it might not be what some people want to hear, it's I talked about this with um, a poet, another poet in town. And we talked about really education and awareness is just planting that seed. So the more you hold somebody accountable and the more you show them their actions and the result of it and you stand up for what's right and also what's legal, what how people should be treated, it prompts them to take more of a look at their actions and it makes them more pliable. Maybe not everybody, but... The more you do it, the easier that job gets, even if it's never quite done. Exactly. How did you become involved in the Jacksonville Community Action Committee? When I attended school at UNF, I um, met my fiance. I'm sorry, that's my best friend, so I'm going to be bringing him up a lot. You're Um, allowed to bring him up as much as you want to. (laughs) Y'all get married, it's fair. actually took me to an SDS meeting, Students for a Democratic Society. Mm-hmm. And so um, for years, and even now, um, I've been working with them. And so since I've been working with the student org, you know, with coalition building and things like that, the community organization would like, you know, support us. And so, you know, we would come out and support them. And so from there, I really got to know everybody especially this summer with everything that happened I really just wanted to make a difference and I knew with like JCAC like they get things done like they make a difference you know they do Um, wildly so and you can you can see it too the iterations of what y'all do it I feel like more than just the people inside of Jacksonville are taking notice and that's an important thing and it creates a conduit for change You talked about how this previous summer um, you really wanted to make a difference and kind of evoke positive change. What kind of positive change has being a part of the Jacksonville Community Action Committee done for you? Oh, man, it's just really opened my eyes. Um, You know, we always talk about vote, you know, vote, vote, vote. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, you do your civic duty and you vote. But then like what about like local elections? You know what I mean? Like people treat the major election, like the Super Bowl. like you all sit down and watch, you might not even like football, but you sit down and you watch it because it's the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it took me like realizing like I have to pay attention to local politics because this directly impacts what's happening here. You know, 
we have the ability to uh, change the budget here in Jacksonville to make sure like infrastructure is better, to make sure we don't have neighborhoods that are literally flooded after hurricanes that are supposed to happen here because we live in Florida. So, you know, it's just <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's like it made me realize even more how much of an impact we can have. You know, it's not like things aren't just the way they are. Like we can actually do something about it. No, and, and I feel like you do. And I feel like you do it in a way that is very much so the opposite of what the media's depiction of protesting and speaking out was like over the course of last year. Like just painting a picture of what my first interaction was with the Jacksonville Community Action Committee. I went to the first protest that was had around the time that the murders were kind of at its peak. The first protest that we had here related in relation to it. And as a result, everybody was so peaceful. Everybody was peaceful. It was well organized. There were options for people who were disabled or had specific needs. People were social distancing. People were wearing masks. So something, the reason why I bring this up is because there is this, there is this misconception that if you are protesting the cops, that you hate all the cops, there is this misconception that if you are protesting, you are rioting and you are being aggressive and inciting violence. So if you if you want to delve into it, what I want to ask you is to paint me a picture of what a protest looks like that the Jacksonville Community Action Committee puts on and what are those steps like to make those events safe while also keeping with the vision of what you all are there to do. That last part, because that's one of the major things that we like think about when we go to organize a protest Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day we all know why we're there you know everyone puts their egos aside like yes you're angry yes you're angry we're all angry like we're here together Mm -hmm. so yes so um with that being said it was kind of great because there was like no shortage of volunteers like during that time and so that really that came that just it really helped we had people who were like Hey, you know, I know these nurses, they, they are volunteering to come out. Hey, I know these lawyers, they're volunteering to come out. Hey, I know these people, they're really good at peacekeeping. They're volunteering. Can they come out? Hey, I just, I can't come, but can I donate all of these waters? You know, um, it was beautiful because it was a community effort, you know, um, of course, like, you know, we put in that time and things to plan it, but it made it a lot easier because we had so many people in the community ready mm-hmm. and willing to help. Which is a beautiful thing. Even during that time, I even saw people like willing to go out of their way to drive people who couldn't get there because they didn't have transportation or pick them up from it. Or if someone felt unsafe, kind of be there um, to to bring them to safety if needed and things got out of hand and for the entirety of the time that the Jacksonville um, Community Action Committee was out there it was a peaceful demonstration it was just speaking on the things centering around George Floyd and other people of color who have been mindlessly murdered 
even much longer than the media has actively been covering it, than people have actively really been talking about it. So just thank you for the work that you and everyone else there does. It's very important. It's needed. I do want to ask, being that you are such an integral part of it and you are part of the great parts of doing what you do and maybe some of the more stressful parts of doing what you do. How do you personally separate the anger that you feel and use that anger to educate and make people aware? How do you separate those two things or do you use them in tandem? Let me wrap my brain around that one. Somebody asked me that same question earlier this year because I did a series of poems and I was out there at a couple of the protests and I did a lot of work on the back end as well, working with different leaders in different places, even outside of Jacksonville. And somebody asked me that question, like, how do you separate the anger from from what you're trying to do? And I remember needing two days to answer it. <laughs> so if it takes you a minute, it's okay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I had to hit the ground running, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's that I love my people more than I hate what's happening. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, <laughs> and that's just kind of the place I've had to come to, you know, because I'm not going to accept what's happening. Like, that's... Like, (laughs) not to be all, like, anime protagonist about it and edgy, but, like... I mean, the fact that you phrased it that way just just (laughs) made me so happy on the inside. Anime (laughs) protagonist. I love it. Use the hate to fuel it. Use the hate to fuel your passion. Are we talking a Shonen Jump anime protagonist? I need specifics. (laughs) You know... (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I was thinking of uh, the protagonist of my own anime. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) But yeah, actually, that kind of makes me think about I just started watching Dragon Ball Super. Is it good? I haven't seen it yet. Yes, he punches the snot out of future trunks and then says, like, (laughs) remember this anger the next time you fight me. I miss I miss Dragon Ball Z so much. I think the last the last time I watched Dragon Ball Z was when Broly came out. That was the last oh, time. You gotta watch Super. It's my latest obsession. I'll check I don't know it out. If you see my Facebook <laughs> I did see some of them and I really wanna watch it. I've I have a ton of anime on my queue. And I know where I devolve I know we're like digressing for a moment, but anime is always important. Anime is valid and they have feelings too. But I've been watching a lot of Demon Slayer, Kimitsu no Yaiba, which is a brand new anime, kind of. It's about a year old. So I've been watching a lot of that. I've been thinking about watching it because I just, I hear it's so good. It is. I have opinions on it, but I don't want to spoil it. So if you do watch it, we can talk about it when you're done with it. Bet. But speaking of art and bleeding color and bleeding expression into things so you used to model tell me about that I did used to model I modeled from 2017 to um I guess yeah right up until the pandemic (laughs) 
after that, I, um, oh no, it was from 2018. I'm sorry. 2018 up until the pandemic. I, um, did a couple shows, uh, in Jacksonville. Um, I remember my first show, it was, it was like a little small community show. It was like at a park. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous. I was nervous. I was like shaking. Um, I did not know what to do. And then it was like, I went up and walked for the first time. And after I did, I was like, oh man, can I try that again? <laughs> and then I was like, actually, this is kind of like, this is like more fun than it is scary now, you know? And so, um, I think like maybe a month or so later, I ended up having a show in Miami. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That went, yeah, it went well. Um, we got our, had our car towed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, got to walk in New York Fashion Week. That was crazy. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I actually ended up having one of those, uh, you know, runway moments where, like, you know, you get backstage and they're, like, ripping the clothes off of you and then you have to hop into the next outfit. Like, I actually got to have one of those moments and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the dream. <laughs> how long did you have to change? I'm just curious. Like, how quickly did you have to change? <laughs> so, um, the way the shows I've done has worked is um, because I do, I mainly do, like, local shows. Mm-hmm. So, the way it goes is that there's, either a a group of models and the designers bring their items and the day of they say hey i need you for this and that and the other thing or b the designers will already have their models mm-hmm. and um from there it'll be like that and then sometimes the day of the show there'll be designers who brought extra items so if you're not walking during a certain time you can actually hop onto another designer's uh, i guess line and wear their clothes and so it just kind of depended on how you space things out. Um, personally, I had to set a rule for myself to not do more than three um, changes in a show. More than that was just too much. I made an exception for New York Fashion Week, obviously. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, still uh, really fucking cool, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really it was really gratifying, to be honest. Um, I don't have the best relationship with my mom, and as a kid... She used to watch America's Next Up model me every day. Mm-hmm. And then one day she told me that I couldn't be a model because I'm too short and I don't look unique enough. And so <laughs> that stuck with me for a really long time. So it was really, it was amazing to be able to say, hey, you did I it anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad that you were able to do that too. And I one thing that I'm really happy about too is the standard or the norm even though there are still some stereotypes that exist and a little bit of a little bit of obstacles in terms of people not fitting into a certain mold it's sometimes harder but I do notice that the standard for modeling is changing and now you see people represented more so people of color people all over the LGBT plus spectrum people who have disabilities just it's it's a beautiful thing to see and I personally think that you look very unique in the best way you look freaking phenomenal and that's really cool that you were able to do that as a as a model as a creator as a person at the beginning you said that you're just you so when you look deep inside of you 
how do you want to evolve, whether it's creatively, professionally, or personally? Wow. Um, <laughs> I guess um, all of the above. Um, it would be... It, I, I always try to learn. So for me, if I don't learn anything from like something, I've wasted my time. Mm-hmm. And small things are lessons to me, you know, like... Um, oh shoot, I didn't ask for ketchup and she definitely asked me if I wanted ketchup and I said no. Like, I learned something from that. Next time, speak up. So like, for me, I want to always be evolving in every facet of life because that means that I'm learning. And if I'm always learning, you know, that that's just, I don't know, cherry on top. <laughs> I like learning. <laughs> it is. And it shows too because then you can share that knowledge with other people. And I think that's one of the really cool things about learning. You learn more about your history and your background and you just have a wider perspective. And Tiana, outside of just being an awesome superhero, can you tell everybody where they can find out more about um, the Jacksonville um, community action committee and also where they can find out more about you if they want to take a look at your poetry or anything else that you have in the works yeah definitely um okay so for Jacksonville community action committee you can follow them on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Jacks takes action Jacks takes action J-A-X takes action um and if you want to stay up to date with me and my poetry, you can follow me at Shakti Does Poetry. Uh, Shakti Does Poetry. That's S H A K T I Does Poetry. And you can follow uh, Slam Duval, one of my po- my poetry organization. Um, they are amazing. You should go follow them. They do awesome work. Thank you. Yes. You can follow us at Slam Duval on Instagram and Facebook. Go ahead and follow Students for a Democratic Society, UNF SDS, on Facebook and Instagram as well. <laughs> yes, please show them some love and support. They do really cool work, too. I was thinking about being mean. Are you going to let me be mean for just one second? I promise it will be a nice kind of mean, though. You ready for it? So. Get it. I, I, I was about I was about to ask I'm like you got a poem you can read us <laughs> you know what I got a poem for you you got a poem okay I'm excited she I got, got a, a she has a poem <laughs> y'all it's 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 a short one um and also I just did a slam and I didn't get to throw it out so here we go <laughs> nice I'm ready so there I was Sitting there minding my own business, when at the corner of my ear, I hear, Man, shoot, it's not as dark as Tiana. Loud enough to make sure I heard their words use my skin as self-defense, touting that they are better than me because they are lighter by a fraction of a pigment. The ignorance, like them being lighter than me, gives them some kind of advantage in feeling better about themselves. Because they're not black. They're brown. And y'all, if I had a nickel for every time this happened, I could afford a high rise in Manhattan. Like this one time in middle school when we were flipping through the yearbook and we were laughing because I was the darkest in all the pictures we took. 
or like how if I closed my eyes in the dark and smiled, all you'd be able to see would be my teeth. And honestly, that one was kind of weak and it lacked originality. But either way, never did I ever want to not be black, but it seemed like people always had a problem with that. Like this time at lunch in high school when I was sitting at the table with my friends and they were arguing about red bones and yellow bones and how my one friend is just light enough to be a red bone and how because I was the very definition of black, she didn't match that. I was tired of it, man. So I said, okay, and? And let me tell you, those two words shut shit down. I mean, quiet with no sound because yes, I am black. I am not brown. I am not your chocolate Hershey's kiss. I am black, black, blackity black and moments like that made me understand my place in this world that people will always find comfort with me because they believe that my complexion is less than like I remember when I was six and my mom was mad at her mom because I stayed outside playing all day long and I was just getting darker but the way I see it is that my darkness is my beauty and other people's cruelty is to be expected. Like how Malcolm X said, the black woman is the most disrespected. And if God made man in her image, then behold her beautiful black visage, her blinding obsidian that obstructs your vision, my glory hidden in plain sight, threatening to be the light that makes you see better days that demands you renounce your sinful ways. So get on your knees and pray. Pray that I am merciful and take pity on your ignorance. Let my forgiveness be your deliverance because when you talk to God, I know you beg to her because you wish you were as dark as Tiana. Yes! I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I was trying not to snap multiple times. I'm like, I'm going to let him finish. I'm going to let them finish and not interrupt. <laughs> but that was beautiful and wonderful. And I loved every ounce of it because it's it's so true and awful and just what we put each other through and the f colorism is a very real thing and how we treat each other so thank you for sharing that thank you for blessing us with a poem tonight well thank you for asking it was an honor <laughs> No, absolutely. It was an honor having you on the show. And thank you so much for being here. And I will link everywhere that people can follow you and kind of keep up to date in the bio below so that they can kind of keep up with your awesomeness. And you are welcome back anytime that you want to come back. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I don't know why I was nervous. This was, it's, it's valid to be nervous. It's, I somebody interviewed me recently and it was weird and I do these all the time but it's weird when you're the one being interviewed because you are you're kind of like thinking of answers and you're asking yourself is this the right answer or am I talking enough or am I being detailed <laughs> enough but you were right. you were phenomenal and I'm just speaking for everybody else they said that you were phenomenal too so we're all <laughs> we're all Thanks, good Dwight. and it was nice chatting it up with you and we'll see you later all right well thank you so much <laughs> you're welcome thank you thank you to all of our listeners out there as always you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible the raindrop corner podcast can be found on itunes spotify soundcloud and all standard platforms until next time